Can I pray again before we turn to God's word? Father, we thank you for your great grace towards us and the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be with us now. We pray for the young people with Han Lee. We pray for ourselves, Lord. We pray for the younger ones as well. We ask that you would be with us all. And Father, you would help us now. Father, Father, who are we? Are we sinners saved by grace? We are dependent upon you. We are dependent upon your Holy Spirit. Father, please give me grace to rightly handle the word of truth. May it be an encouragement and a spur to my brothers and sisters in Christ. We commit the time to you now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, you have got a handout, which is problematic, uh, because Naomi asked me for a handout, so I provided a handout. There's one for each of the sessions. Um, I will not stick rigidly to that handout. Apologies. It's there. It gives you the basic outline of where we're heading. gives kind of summary statements that are there, which will summarise where we're heading and some of the major points. But other than that, we'll see how we go. Um, In 2022, which you may remember, after the best part of two years going through the Book of Romans in our church, we and after the aftermath of COVID, after two years after working our way through Romans, we, I thought, and others in our church thought, well, where do we go next in the Word of God? Uh, We had 65 other books to go to. Uh, Where to next? What would be most helpful and appropriate for us? And as we pondered that, as we pondered the joys of living through COVID and the situation changing a little bit, we started to think, well, We need to learn how to live to the glory of God in a changing environment. This is the world that we live in. It's a changing environment. It's sometimes difficult. It's always changing. And I was reminded of our calling as Christians to live to the glory of God in every circumstance of life. I was in fact reminded, which is where we get the title, In Trouble and Enjoy, of that old 17th century hymn, by Nahum Tate and Nicholas Brady. It opens like this, through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. It's a great opening line, a great opening verse. Through all the changing scenes of life, yes, that's my life, that's our life, in trouble, yes, and in joy, yes, The praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. And as I began to ponder that and thought about particularly, if the Christian gospel is true, which it is, it's the truth of God, it's the power of God unto salvation, if the gospel is really God's truth, that gospel and the word of God must work in every situation of life. It must work in trouble it must work in joy. It must work in the whole spectrum of things. In scenes of blessing and in rejoicing, in scenes of sorrow and distress, the gospel as the word of God works. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, works in every circumstance, and we need that. At this particular point, back in 2022, I'm not going to give you the 16 sermons I then preached after that. We looked at eight sermons on sorrow, where we looked into the book of Lamentations. I'd never preached from the book of Lamentations apart from that classic verse in chapter 3, 
which we'll get to in due course. Uh, but um, I'd never preach through Lamentations. Have, let me just give a bit of feedback here in a casual situation of a camp. Who's heard a series on the book of Lamentations? Okay. One? Okay. Good. I'm glad. I, I had never heard a series on Lamentations. I'd never preached a series on Lamentations. I'd preached a couple of sermons on isolated verses in Lamentations. But when I was thinking about sorrow, hmm, what's a, a passage of Scripture? What's a book of Scripture that deals and really zeroes in on sorrow? And maybe the book entitled Lamentations might have something to do with sorrow. So I threw myself into reading Lamentations and studying Lamentations, ended up preaching eight sermons through the book, and I found it a wonderful, challenging uh, time of meditating upon just what the people of God have gone through. Uh, this, in this case, an Old Testament contest, context, yes, but full of instruction. Uh, the Old Covenant people of God went through that. Uh, many of them went through that particular strife. Uh, we'll talk about later because of their own sin. Not every sorrow is a direct directly caused by sin sometimes sorrow comes from all sorts of different places but uh, that one was it was directly caused by God's anger on the people for their sin we'll see it in the opening couple of chapters here but sorrow here is sorrow and here is Jeremiah who's a faithful prophet of God a faithful man of God who goes through that too there were other faithful people who knew the Lord, they also went through this suffering along with their fellow countrymen, their fellow residents of Jerusalem. And so they knew sorrow, we know sorrow, and this is a good place to, to start. If you want a, a New Testament parallel, can I take you briefly, before we dive in here, to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you know Philippians chapter 4, you probably know the book of Philippians is a great a great chapter, a great book on joy, but it's also got the whole spectrum here. Have a look at Philippians 4 from verses 11 to 13. Here is Paul's expression of his situation and experience. Philippians 4 from verse 11. Not that I, excuse me, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. That's the whole spectrum. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ or through Him who strengthens me. That's probably one of the most abused texts of Scripture, uh, as often people who are athletes or whatever, they're going to have a great game or a great season because they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. Uh, it's been pulled out of context in many ways, but here in this context, this is Paul speaking about his ministry and his life, which involved both abundance and want. It involved both plenty and hunger and through it all he knew the strength of Christ strengthening him 
So we want to know the strength of Christ strengthening us as his people, whether today you consider yourself in want, in need, in lack, or in sorrow, or whether you see yourself as being in a time of real joy and rejoicing in your life, whatever place you're in on that spectrum, uh, here is God's truth and God himself who meets our need in every circumstance. So I want to consider the Christian life and the Christian when things are going well. Yes, it has. (laughs) Thank you. I want to consider the Christian life when things are going well and also when you do it tough. Because even us Christians do it tough, don't we? There are versions of the Christian life where people say when you enter into Christ and you enter maybe into particular fullness of Christ, there are no troubles. Uh, There are no sorrows. There is nothing bad that happens. There's no want, there's no lack. Everything is abundance. Everything maybe is prosperity and you float through life, but that hasn't been my experience, nor the experience of any Christian I've ever read of or any Christian I've ever really fellowshiped with or anybody I've read about in the pages of Scripture, Old and New Testaments. We know the spectrum. So through all the changing scenes of life in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. Now I could go to various things there in the New Testament, but let me really focus in on the book of Lamentations for you. So I'm skipping over what's one, that's the introduction. Two is the nature of our lives in a fallen world. I've mentioned that in passing, but we do live in a fallen world. We'll come back to that in the next session as well. Uh, So Old and New Testaments, this is a reality. Let me highlight three and four here. Lamentations is a fascinating book. Are you familiar? Who's really would say they are really familiar with the book of Lamentations? Okay, good. You're allowed to say yes. Uh, You don't have to be an expert on the book of Lamentations, but if you're familiar with it, that's good. But Lamentations is in the form of five poems, five laments. They're in Hebrew Each of the laments is an acrostic, okay, like Psalm 119. So it works its way through the Hebrew alphabet. And in chapter 1, 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 2, 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3, 66 verses, which is 22 times 3. Again, three verses going through the first letter, Aleph, and working its way through the Hebrew alphabet. And then 22 verses, 22 verses. So they're all acrostic poems, which is a really uh, interesting way to express your lament. What is a lament? It's an expression of sorrow and concern over things that are difficult. And and here he expresses that in this book, but in a poetic way, in a kind of stylized way. He's disciplined himself to actually think through the alphabet under the inspiration of God, the alphabet and work his way through in that way. So it's, it's a particular expression of personal grief over what's happened to God's people and the city of God there in Jerusalem, but it's also very carefully thought through. It's passionately expressed, but it's also carefully thought through, just like a lot of poetry, good poetry is. Uh, it's got both the passion and the heart, but it's also structured and has maybe rhyme or ways of putting things together. So this is what 
is happening for us here in the Book of Lamentations. It's five acrostic poems, each expressing a really profound grief uh, for the situation in Jerusalem. Now, what was the situation in Jerusalem? Uh, If you want homework, and I'd I'd love to give it to you, uh, you can take it or not, but please, if you want to get the historical background, go to either 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 to 21, 2 Kings 25, 1 to 21, or go to Jeremiah 52, verses 1 to 34. So in those books, and I've got them there in those notes, um, and also a big spelling mistake which hits me in the eye, I'll explain it to you in a moment, um, yeah, go to those passages of scripture and you'll see what's going on here. The book of Lamentation charts the pain, uh, the horror, the shock, the misery of those looking on as the Babylonians began their siege of Jerusalem. Eventually, uh, the Babylonians destroyed at that time an estimated 80% of the towns and villages in Judah. This was devastating long-term warfare. And then they obviously came into Jerusalem and they destroyed much in Jerusalem, including the temple there in the heart of Jerusalem. And then they murdered many people. Many people were killed. Many other thousands were taken away in exile to Babylon. So this is a, a horrific time in the history of the people of God, the Jewish people at this particular time. And this is a Hebrew poem or series of laments responding to this. The city is destroyed, the temple is looted and destroyed, people are dying, there are bodies in the street, Uh, there is all sorts of horror going on. Read those two passages in particular. And here is the man writing. He describes himself in chapter 3 verse 1 simply as the man who has seen, and it's not affection, which is a nice spell-checking error. It's not the man who has seen affection, it's the man who has seen affliction. Okay, so here is a man who has witnessed this, putting things together. We think this is most likely Jeremiah. And we learn that he wrote such laments in some of the historical books. So here is Jeremiah the prophet, I think, and he's expressing his horror at what God has done. He's actually looking very carefully at the huge sorrow that his people were experiencing at that time, that he was experiencing, that he was going through, and this book is reflecting on it. So we get quotes like this. I've got a couple of them there in those notes under section three. Uh, A man called Ray Stedman said, this book, Lamentations, is a study in sorrow. It's a hymn of heartbreak. That's well expressed. It's a study in sorrow. You want to understand sorrow? Here is sorrow writ large. Here is a hymn of heartbreak. We sang a hymn that expressed that just then. Uh, It was too high for me. I'm sorry at various points. I have a lower register voice. Uh, Didn't work really well. I tried. I struggled. And then I remained silent when it was too high for me. But yeah, this is a hymn of heartbreak. Uh, Peter Lee says, the book of Lamentations is about mournful loss, agonizing pain, and ongoing misery. No other book, says Lee, within the biblical canon is as dark and depressing as this one. Welcome to church camp. 
Okay? Uh, no other book is as dark and depressing as this one, that is his opinion. Another man called Mark Rogoff, who wrote a book related to this and the theme of lament, said, while there are other places in the Bible where lament appears, we sang a version of well, Psalm 42 there, there's Psalm 13, Psalm 38, Psalm 137, there's also books like the book of Job, which deal a lot with pain and suffering. Uh, there are other places that handle lament, but the book of Lamentations says Vrogop is the most intense and comprehensive minor key song in the scriptures. So here is a song, but it's not in a major key, it's in a minor key, it's a lament. There's sadness in the way it's sung. It's meant to be sung, it's meant to be read and to feel the weight of that. It addresses head-on the reality of sorrow and suffering, which is one part of your Christian experience, isn't it? I should have many heads nodding. Uh, one part of your Christian experience is sorrow and suffering. Uh, the year I gave, I began this series, took 16 weeks. In the period that we looked eight weeks at the uh, the theme of suffering in particular and sorrow, uh, we had three, and this is not a prophecy or a prediction, we had three of our members die in the church. And so we were going through considering lamentations with tears in our eyes, uh, realising the reality of what happens even when a believer dies. There's much joy when a believer dies and goes home to be with the Lord, but there's also the sorrow, the loss, and the contribution that they have made or were making, and that's you're ripped from you. And, and we know the reality of that. And we had three people in our church. One was a man called uh, Brian. He'd been a part of our church since the start or near the start. Uh, wonderful believer in a rest home, died very suddenly. One was my father-in-law who uh, died in his late 80s. And he died after two or three years of suffering with dementia which was progressing significantly and so we as a family lived through that and the other person who died was a lovely woman uh, who'd only come to the church fairly recently uh, and her husband both in their late 60s at that point and uh, she got cancer very suddenly and passed away pretty quickly there's all that and then there's all the relationship strife and job strife and family strife and everything else, then you're living in a society that's gone through COVID or whatever. You know, I also lived in Christchurch during the earthquakes, so had that kind of experience, which was unusual for me as an Australian who'd never experienced an earthquake, uh, to suddenly experience those in 2010 and 2011. Um, you know, we know sorrow, and I trust we also know joy and this book of Lamentations is focusing in on sorrow, but has significant notes of joy. Can I just talk a little bit about this book and its, its usefulness, which mirrors what's on the back, and then we'll go into chapter 2 and the first 22 verse, or first 20 or so verses, maybe, of chapter 1. Um, Lamentations helpfully addresses these things of sorrow and sadness, and it's part of our armory as Christians for dealing with that. So if you haven't read through Lamentations, please read through Lamentations, uh, because it's part of 
our armory. It's part of the inspired scripture for us as believers to read, to think upon and to benefit from, uh, particularly in those parallel situations. Uh, So we're in that situation where we face those things in our lives. Uh, Do you know where, where Lamentations is used most obviously and publicly in Jewish life today? don't know whether any of you are familiar with Jewish life, but in Jewish life, Lamentations is publicly read today on the ninth day of the month of Ab, approximately July or August in our calendar, and they read out the whole of Lamentations on that day. And on that day, they use it to specifically call to mind three things. Number one, they call to mind the sorrow of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the exile. This is about 588 to 586 BC. So modern congregations in Jewish synagogues call to mind this that we're looking at and they read out the whole of Lamentations to call that to mind. They also call out, uh, uh, recall number two, the destruction of the second temple in AD 70 by the Romans. So after the New Testament period, after the life of Jesus, at the end of that period, again, they lost the temple. The temple is destroyed at that point. They call that to mind. They lament over that. And you would guess, wouldn't you, what the third thing is that modern Jews call to mind? The Holocaust. Okay? The Holocaust. Uh, They call to mind actually other disasters that have befallen the Jews over the years, but particularly the Holocaust under the Nazis in World War II. So when they think of lamentations, they apply it to the initial context, they apply it to the disaster that befell them in Jerusalem when the Second Temple was destroyed, AD 70, and then they called on the Holocaust. And you can imagine the Jews this year, uh, what would they be calling to mind among the disasters that have befallen the Jews? So there's all that there. So this is a journey in front of us. Briefly, we're going to look a little bit at the, the sorrow here and how that sorrow was handled uh, by the prophet Jeremiah. Um, C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pains. That's interesting. God whispers to us in our pleasures, so God does teach us things through our pleasures. He also teaches us things and speaks to our conscience in the ordinary affairs of life, but often he shouts to us and gets our attention in our pains. So that's what we're looking at. Another man called Nicholas Walterstorff says in his book, Lament for a Son, obviously looking at the death of his own son, he said, I shall look at the world through tears. I shall look at the world through tears. After the death of his son, I shall look at this world through tears. And then he said, perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. That God teaches us things in sorrow that dry-eyed we could not see. If we weren't going through it, if we weren't doing it tough, if we weren't sad, then we couldn't really see and learn some of the lessons that the Lord has for us. So, have a look with me at Lamentations 1. Uh, The nature of the first two chapters of Lamentations are easy. They're wall-to-wall sorrow. I won't read all of them. I encourage you to read both the first two chapters particularly, and then we'll highlight verse 3 tomorrow. But 
let me at least point out to you something of the, the tenor, the flavour of what's happening here in the book of Lamentations. So we're going to Lamentations 1 and see how it begins. See how it begins. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How, now this is all word pictures. In fact, I counted it up and roughly there's 30 plus uh, word pictures or descriptions in these opening few verses of this book. Look, look at some of them. They're all powerful. They, they deserve being thought about, meditated upon, but feel the force of this. I'm just going to read it to you, make a couple of comments as we go, to, go through. This is non-stop sorrow. I don't apologise for reading passages of Scripture, but you almost feel like apologising because this is wall-to-wall sorrow. It's unrelenting, sad stuff. Uh, What is said here? Let's look at it. How lonely sits the city. Now, this is the city, of course, of Jerusalem. This is Mount Zion. This is where God dwells with his people. This is the centre of this. This is where the, the temple is where God is pleased to presence himself with his people. This is where the sacrifices are going on and the priesthood is there. And this is now lonely. (laughs) Lonely sits the city that was once full of people. Many have died. Others are being taken away in exile. How like a widow has she become? She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave you feel that from a princess to a slave from a princess to a slave enjoying life wonderful place to be Jerusalem now slavery now exile now occupation she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks so there's There's tears everywhere here. There's weeping everywhere. This is the book of Lamentations. Uh, So there's tears everywhere. She weeps bitterly in the night. It's speaking about the city as a whole, corporately, but true of individuals within that city. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. And that that theme is you'll see throughout this first chapter, first couple of chapters, there is nobody to comfort her. Zero comforters. So you're in distress. When you're in distress, you look to people close to you. You look to friends. You look to family. You want to go there and find people who know you and who will comfort you and help you and strengthen you and support you. Here, the city has none to comfort her. They're on their own. They're lonely. This is like a widow bereft of her beloved husband. This is like the princess has become a slave weeping bitterly day and night. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. So you look there for some comfort and some support, and all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So friends have become enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, that's the exile, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress 
The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. This is a place where the big festivals of the Jewish nation were held as they rejoiced in what God had done in previous generations. And this was the, the Lord their God. And now nobody's coming to the festivals. The festivals aren't happening at this particular point. All her, her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins have been afflicted and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because, and this is the undergirding theme here, this sorrow was a judgment of God upon them for their sin. Their sin was not a momentary sin. Their sin was not a light sin. The sin had gone on over generations This current generation was repeating that sin. They were spiraling down and away from all the good things that the Lord had done. And the Lord was now bringing a promised judgment on them for their departure from him. So this sadness is a judgment of God. And here he highlights that. Um, Where are we? Uh, Because the Lord, verse 5, has afflicted her. For the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. So, again, imagine yourself in that situation. Uh, your family members, maybe your children, maybe your parents, others that you've known, close friends, are now being taken away to Babylon. Where's Babylon? You probably don't even know where Babylon is in those days. This was not the day of hopping on a plane or in a car and traveling somewhere quickly this was a long way away this is a fearsome foe from a great distance a powerful enemy that's finally overcome you and now they're taking your children away they're taking your friends away your family members away as captives verse 6 from the daughter of zion all her majesty has departed her princes have become like deer interesting you know a bit about deer uh that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old when her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. So people looking on, they're rubbing their hands that this has finally happened to Israel. This has finally happened to Judah. This has finally happened to the Jews. This is, they're delighting in what's happened. They're the enemies of God and God's people. They're gloating over and mocking at her downfall. Verse 8 Jerusalem, now this is very honest, sinned grievously. Ever been part of a society that sins grievously? Uh, you should lament, okay? There is place for lots of things when a society sins grievously. But as the people of God, there's a place particularly for lament. We should not be rejoicing in how bad our society gets or how horrific things are done. We should be lamenting over that. We should be taking that to the Lord. We should be weeping and not just saying, oh, look at what God's doing to those people who don't know him. We should be sad. We should be sorrowful. Because these are people made in the image of God, made to worship him and they're giving their lives to all sorts of junk and rubbish. That should make us sad. We, we, we shouldn't just 
turn a blind eye to that. We should feel that and we should know that and we should lament that. He goes on here. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honoured her, all who honoured her, despise her, for they've seen her nakedness, and she herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. There's also undertones of sexual immorality here, prostitution. There's there's been all sorts of things in the way that these people who are linked to the Lord, have gone away from the Lord. And it's horrific. Therefore her fall is terrible. Again, she has no comforter. Oh Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. These were the foreigners, these were the people who weren't the people of God, now they've just trampled all over the city of God and particularly the temple of God and destroyed that temple and taken off some of the holy vessels from the temple just as plunder. Uh, Everything's been trodden on and trampled down. All her people groan, verse 11, as they search for bread and there was starvation in the siege as well. Some of the people were dying of starvation. Some people were even eating their own children. Uh, in this horrific situation, her people groan as they search for bread, as they trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow. This is sort of the peak of sorrowfulness and sadness. Is there any sorrow, he asks, as the city asked, is there any sorrow like our sorrow, like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, he made it descend, he spread a net for my feet, he turned me back, he has left me stunned, faint all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes overflow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But here, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women, my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders, they perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. 
my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious in the seat in the street the sword bereaves in the house it is like death they heard my groaning yet there is no one to comfort me all my enemies have heard of my trouble they are glad that you have done it you have brought the day you announced now let them be as I am let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Well, that wasn't detailed exposition, but I hope you feel the force of what's here. This is genuine grief and sorrow to the max, okay? There's no sorrow like this sorrow. This was come upon Jerusalem, you know, the city of God in the midst of the, the people that were called out from the nations to be his people, and now we're being taken off into the nation, particularly the nation of Babylon, to be captives in that place where they sat by the rivers and wept as they remembered Zion, as they remembered the Lord and the Lord's place and what God had done. Uh, An appropriate prophet for this people is the man Jeremiah. Have a quick look in closing. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8, just the previous book of Scripture from verse 21 into chapter 9. Just a few verses. Here is the prophet Jeremiah. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. So here is a prophet whose heart is wounded ministering to people with wounded hearts. That is very appropriate. Uh, For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician? Is there no doctor in the house? Is there not someone who come and remedy this situation? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? And then this famous Jeremiah description. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Uh, Lament is right. Lament is a right part of the Christian's armory and life. Uh, If you can live in a world like ours in a society like ours in a culture like ours in a wider family like mine, and probably a wider family like yours, if you can walk through all that and not feel anything, your heart's in a bad place. Uh, We need to feel and know, not that we've sinned in exactly the same way, but we're people who have sinned and owned our sin and turned from our sin and know the grace of God delivering us from our sin, and we see this people still trapped in sin. And we we see a society going haywire because it's still trapped in sin. And that should move us to lament. We should not just turn our eyes away and go to a desert place or, or a monastery or somewhere retreat to some place where I don't have to look at what's going on. The society needs us. Uh, we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to feel what is being done in that society and we're supposed to be a, a light for the Lord in the midst of that. So that's something of what we'll pick up as we go through and may the Lord bless us to that end. Shall I close in prayer?
Father, help us. We, we are far too comfortable at times, far too at ease in our own uh, circumstances. Lord, you've been good to us in many, many ways. Many of us have a lot to rejoice in, and we should be rejoicing in those things. But we should also feel just the weight of our, the sin of our society, the waywardness, the retreat from God and the ways of God. We should feel things in the wider church and the, the famine of the Word of God. We should feel those things and know those things and, and pray and minister, Lord, in that situation. Father, please help us. Father, please help us to be people who learn how to lament. This is here in Lamentations, as in the book of Jeremiah. It's often in the Psalms. And we pray that you might help us to learn that and that it might be part of the way of our Christian lives, part of the armory of our response to the world around us as your people. We ask that you would teach us, you would shape us in the light of your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.